Uh, I was I was walking kind of around the back here this morning. For those of you that don't know, there's there's a conference room behind here, and we we meet there to pray before each Sunday morning's service. Um, as I was walking down, there's also like a fire escape kind of back here. That's why there's an exit sign there. If you guys ever need to know. Uh, and as I was as I was walking by, I saw somebody on those back steps knocking away ice. Uh, and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention that person by name. Uh, but again, this church is it's so important that these small acts be happening all the time. And and this church is incredibly dependent on those small acts. And I know that I don't personally notice a lot of them. I know a lot of them go unwitnessed. Uh, but do just want to make sure to say thank you when I do notice them happening. Um, and, and oftentimes I just can't say thank you to everybody. So I uh, want, to, want to extend that. We live in a period of an immense amount of negativity. If you listen to the news or read the internet, you will hear complaints about sports, politics, weather, and the economy, there is no shortage of grumbling. Social media and everyday conversations are filled with it. The pervasive negativity of our world has many effects. One especially pressing concern is population collapse. In much of the world, the number of children being born is less than the number of people dying. This is somewhat of a problem here in the United States. It's much more of a problem in various countries in Europe and in places like South Korea. South Korea actually set a record last year for the lowest number of births. The lack of children has a variety of undesirable impacts. In a country like China, there's an impending population collapse. If something doesn't change soon, there will not be enough young people in that country to care for all the elderly, physically and financially. In addition to being a reason for negativity, low birth weights are a reflection of those that of childbearing age, they're a reflection of how those people feel about the world. Happy, optimistic people have kids. Unhappy, grumbling people are less likely to want to bring another person into the world. A person's personal outlook, whether it be positive or negative, impacts their whole life. Having kids is just one example of that. The outlook of a society will determine its future as well. In today's verses, the Israelites feel as negatively as any person in the present day who believes their world is on the verge of destruction from natural or cultural forces. Let's turn now to Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. We will pick up with the Israelites as they continue to travel through a dry and weary land. Exodus 16 is on page 54 in the Pew Bibles, and we will begin reading in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. They set out from Elam 
And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the, pe of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven on you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? For Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The grumbling of the Israelites is a reflection of the negativity that has consumed their hearts. They are not expressing a momentary frustration. They believe that the trajectory of their lives is bad. They think their situation is worse than slavery in Egypt and even death. They blame Moses and Aaron. But their real issue is actually with God. God is the one that is sovereign over their circumstances. He is the one the frustrations they feel need to be addressed with. When followers of God feel negativity about the world, we need to bring those concerns to God. He is the solution for what ails us. Those who focus on God in faith will not grumble. The grumbling of the Israelites in today's verses has three components that we are going to address in reverse order of what they are listed in the text. The first complaint that underlines their grumbling is that Moses and Aaron have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Man, that sounds, that sounds real bad. The Israelites ascribe malicious intent to Moses and Aaron. They accuse them of conspiring against them. We should remember this is not a job Moses wanted in the first place. Moses may not have been 
happy tending sheep in the wilderness, but he wasn't looking for a career change. He pleaded with God to find someone else. It is easy to blame others, especially those in positions of leadership, for personal dissatisfaction with the state of the world. People only have a very small amount of power. Any single person to do what the Israelites claim Moses and Aaron have done is limited. Moses and Aaron are in much the same position as all the other Israelites. They are doing their best in the midst of a difficult situation. There is often an assumption by people that are not in leadership positions that if a situation is not what they prefer, that that means that it is what their leaders would prefer. I am quite sure Moses and Aaron, they're not like, man, this is a great day. This is so much fun. Let's just be out in the desert with thousands of people clamoring for food. The power of Moses and Aaron is incredibly limited. The Israelites' complaint indicates they are still buying into the myth that Pharaoh perpetuated. He claimed that one man had the power to determine the way the world operated. God showed that human power at its highest level is still incredibly limited. He showed this through the 10 plagues. He showed it again at the Red Sea. The second complaint of the Israelites is that things were better in the past. In Egypt, they sat by pots of meat and ate bread to the full. They make Egypt sound like it was you know, like a really good steakhouse. It's a pretty rosy picture to paint. The book of Exodus begins with the Israelites crying out to the Lord. Exodus chapter 1 tells us the Egyptians made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. At the end of chapter 2, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. It doesn't sound like the Israelites were sitting around pots of meat, eating bread to their fill when they were in Egypt. They don't like their present circumstances. They have convinced themselves that things were better previously. It is not uncommon to idealize the past. Forgetting the bad and remembering the good is an easy thing to do. It is common in every stage of life when things get hard to look back on the prior stage and focus on the good. Married people talk about the freedom 
of singleness, not the loneliness. Parents talk about how great it was when their kids were young. Forget about the, the temper tantrums and the dirty diapers and the lack of sleep. Older folks remember when technology wasn't so dominant, forgetting that in less technologically advanced times, people died of diseases we can now treat. Even if the past was better, so what? So what? The past can't be brought back. I doubt if the Israelites tried to go back to Egypt, they would be welcomed with open arms. The Egyptians might be like, hey, we sent a whole army after you guys. Where is that whole army? There was no going back for the Israelites. The third complaint, the one that the Israelites list first, is that they would be better off if they had just died back in Egypt. Of the three statements, this one exhibits the least self-awareness. The Israelites, they don't actually want to be dead. They totally lost it when they thought the Egyptians were going to kill them by the Red Sea not long before. And you know what? They don't seem okay with dying of starvation now. Their statement that they wish they were dead is the ultimate proclamation of negativity. It is the same thing the prophet Jonah does at the end of the book that bears his name. They're so dissatisfied, they think they wish they were dead, except they don't actually want to be dead. A person saying they would rather be dead is proclaiming complete hopelessness. They're saying there is no redemption possible in the present. It would be better to not exist than to be alive in the present moment. They have no hope for the future. Whether the person who claims they would be better off dead intends to say so or not, they are denying any hope for good exists. They're saying the present is completely hopeless. Non-existence would be better. While each component of the Israelites grumbling is, honestly, it's just kind of silly, but each component is invalid for one reason or another, their complaints are also invalid because they are not being honest with themselves about who they blame for their present dissatisfaction. Their ire is directed at Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are easy targets. They're standing right there in front of them. A conversation is possible. They can yell at them and harangue. All the Israelites' frustrations can be placed at the feet of these two men. And Moses and Aaron are the problem. It is not the Israelites themselves, the Egyptians or the world at large. It is these two gods. Grumbling at Moses and Aaron, it's empowering for the Israelites. There are only two of them. This mob of Israelites could easily rise up. And that is indeed what is happening. 
They are demanding Moses and Aaron, fix it. Fix it. Fix what needs to be fixed. Targeting Moses and Aaron gives those complaining a sense of empowerment they otherwise lack. The problem is identifiable. If you know the problem, that means the solution can be determined as well. The wrath of the Israelites is on the verge of devolving into an outright rebellion. It would not be the last time in history that a hungry group of people holds their leaders responsible for their empty bellies. Hungry masses of people often end up with the heads of their leaders on the end of a spear. And, and there are situations, not where you should end up with your leader's head on a spear, but there are situations, right, where leaders do need to be held accountable. Just last year, the president and other leadership of Sri Lanka was chased out of the country by citizens that were angry and hungry. In that case, the Sri Lankans had good reason for their actions. Their leaders were corrupt and inept. Moses and Aaron are just convenient targets. The Israelites, whether they want to admit it or not, are actually grumbling against God. God is overseeing everything that is happening to them. Moses and Aaron are not calling the shots. God called Moses out of obscurity. God is the one who sent the Israelites on this desert detour. The people grumbling in these verses are grumbling against God even if they don't want to admit it. He is sovereign over their situation. The instructions he provided to Moses are the reason the Israelites are a month and a half into a journey to cover ground that could have been traversed in a couple of weeks. Grumbling against God whether the Israelites are doing it or we are doing it implies that God's way is not the best way. It is a denial of our creatureliness. We claim that we know better how to accomplish what should be accomplished than God himself does. Grumbling is a denial of God's goodness or a disregard for God's power. We're pretty smart though. We're pretty clever. Most people that claim to trust God know this. We know this, which is why we don't grumble directly at God. We do what the Israelites did. We accuse leaders of malicious intent. We idealize the past. If we're really pressed, we say, I'd be better off dead. God is not fooled. He knows when he is the target of our grumbling, even if we camouflage our complaints for each other. Let's be clear. God has no issue with people, with us, bringing our concerns to him. God actually wants us to bring our concerns to him. Earlier, I repeated verses from 
the first chapter of Exodus where the people of Israel cried out to God. I use those verses to show that life in Egypt was not as good as the Israelites are remembering in today's verses. I can also use those same verses to show that God heard the cries of the oppressed. In the present, God doesn't expect us to act as if everything is rainbows and sunshine. There are many sources of grief and sadness. Pretty much everybody in this room has some area of their life they feel badly about. It could be a relationship, personal health, finances, work, or a broader issue in the world. Throughout the Bible, God welcomes his people to express their genuine hurt, pain, and frustration. We see this in the Psalms. Psalms of lament, a Psalm of lament is a prayer crying out to God. Those Psalms are the largest category, the largest style of prayer in the book of Psalms. Depending on who is doing the counting, there are as many as 67 of these Psalms. When Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he welcomes those who have been left broken by the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Later he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. The idea that Christians are supposed to be bright and cheery all of the time is not rooted in Scripture. God knows we are often in a tough spot. He knew the Israelites were in a tough spot. He wants us to come to him. That is part of what God is doing in these verses. He is allowing the Israelites to experience the adversity of the world on purpose. He wants them to know the source of their salvation is not in this world. He is that source. The tone with which God's people make their needs known to him matters. The Israelites' grumbling reflects a lack of faith. They don't trust God to do what needs to be done for, him, for them. This lack of faith is a problem. What does God need to do to prove himself to them? Freeing them from Egypt wasn't enough. Neither was the Red Sea. We will see their lack of faith continue to express itself later in Exodus in spite of the fact that God is feeding the Israelites daily in the midst of a barren waste. God doesn't seem to have an issue with any person crying out to him. He does have an issue when we don't believe he can bring good out of our difficult situations. At some point, God will respond to a lack of faith with corrective judgment instead of patience. 
In Numbers 14, God expresses his frustration after the Israelites refused to go into Canaan saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell. Except Caleb, the son of Japuna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. We shouldn't grumble. We should make our hurts, pains, and needs known to God in faith. God is good. His desire is to free us from that which weighs on our hearts. God is our good father, and what father, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God is sovereign. God is sovereign, not just when we like what has happened. I can't pretend to understand why God allows many situations to play out the way they do. You know what I think? So often I think I know better. What I must trust, and you must trust as well, is that God is at work. He will not let us be consumed when we are in the wilderness. He will bring to completion what he has started. There are many logical reasons to be negative about the present world. It does seem as if so much of what has made the world we inhabit good is collapsing on itself. Grumbling is not an unreasonable response to what we see happening in the world. Christians don't grumble because our hope is not in this world. Our hope, our faith is in God who is working through the challenges of this world to accomplish his purposes, which he will do. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Jesus Christ has overcome the world. If we want to feel less negatively, we need to focus less on the world and focus more on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you show an infinite amount of patience with me in my grumbling. I thank you that you forgive, that you have atoned for my lack of faith and, and for the lack of faith that so many of us often feel and express. I pray that you would be with us, Lord, that we would trust in you,
That we be honest with ourselves about our frustrations, about our hurts and our pains, and that we would turn those over to you, knowing that you're not always going to resolve them in the ways that we would prefer, but that you have overcome the world. And that you are bringing good even out of the most difficult circumstances. We thank you for that. We praise you for that, Lord. And, and we do pray for these circumstances that we face in this wilderness in which we live. We pray that you would resolve those situations that, that cause us frustration and pain. But Lord, I just also pray that even as we make those prayers that we would also trust in your goodness and power. In Jesus' name, amen.